Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And just like that, we're back. Another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's now Tuesday morning, November 9th, Year of Our Lord 2021. Could this end up being the best extra episode we've ever done? Well, judging by the monitor in front of me, yes, because I'm looking at the questions that you guys sent, and we got a, just a tsunami of college football coming your way over the next 30 minutes to an hour, however long I decide to go this morning. I got a storm-chasing question in here. I have to tell you the nightmarish travel story that I incurred this past weekend. Like I told you Sunday night on Late Kick Live, I had to drive a 12-person van, the same kind of van that they transport prisoners in. I had to drive that thing, and it ended up not even being the worst part of the trip. That's how bad it was. But it's all going to be in good fun this morning because it does make for good stories at least. And that was what I had to tell myself. And that is what I had to tell myself as I drove 66 miles an hour with the pedal all the way down to the floor in the right lane the entire way to Texas A&M. But that's in a few minutes. Let's dive right into the mailbag at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh on Instagram. That's how you can submit questions. I put the call to action out last night. I got a ton of responses, so we are loaded for bear this morning. Also, before the end of this podcast, and I'll repeat, before I'm done, dot, 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 unless I forget, which I'm prone to do, I am ready to announce my Heisman endorsement for this year. I've waited long enough. I've watched enough. Last year around this time, maybe a little bit earlier than this, we adopted Devontae Smith. He ended up winning the whole thing. I am ready to announce my Heisman endorsement, and we will do it exclusively here on the Late Kick Extra podcast. So meanwhile, let's dive in here this morning. Russ is going to kick us off. Russ says, hey, I doubt it happens, and frankly, I'm not worried about it. But what is going to be the counter to the casual crowd, and I'm already hearing it, that the playoff is going to be the same boring teams if it shakes out being one lost Georgia and Alabama and Ohio State and an unbeaten OU? Well, Russ, I'm of the same opinion you are. I'm not really worried about it. But Russ, no, let's just you and I talk. Okay, so the rest of you close your ears for a second. Russ, you're a little bit worried about it. It's, let me speak low. Russ, it sounds like you're a little bit worried about it. All right, you guys can come back, but don't be worried about it. Fear not, Russ, because this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity for conversion, casual conversion. Since we believe in alliteration so much, this is an opportunity at casual conversion. Take the casual, take your local casual and sit them down and ask them, are you not entertained? Just blatantly rip off Russell Crowe. Grab a sword, put on your gladiator outfit, helmet if you need one, and just yell at them in their face. Get really close to them. Yell in their face. Are you not entertained? Because here's how you have to lay it out for your local casual. These are casuals. They don't think that deep, folks. And so you got to ask them, excuse me, Kaz, what's the date today? And they're going to tell you uh, it's early to mid-November, depending on when you're asking them. Or you could have done this around Halloween. But you could do it right now since we're at this point in time. Excuse me, Kaz, what's the situation right this second? What kind of ground is Alabama on? Well, they're on shaky ground. Okay, what kind of ground is Ohio State on? They're already and have been for a while in can't-lose mode. They are in no-margin-for-error mode. Where's Oklahoma? Oklahoma just opened the rankings at number, what, eight, I think it was? And they've still got multiple losable games coming up. The point I'm making here is outside of Georgia, 
the playoff isn't even assumed to be a given for any of these teams like it quote-unquote normally would be in a quote-unquote boring normal season. You find the casual and you ask them, hey, where were you Saturday night when Alabama and LSU was in the fourth quarter? You know what their answer is? Their answer is on the edge of their seat glued to a TV. Ditto. Same question. Where were you during Nebraska versus Ohio State? Where were you Kansas versus Oklahoma? Where were you, for that matter, Tulane versus Oklahoma? Their answer is going to be the same. I was right there. I was glued to my TV. There's your answer. That's not boring. You were tuned in. You were enthralled just like everyone else is. Just because the favorite in that matchup ended up winning doesn't mean it was boring. It went to the wire. And it's going to continue to happen that way. We're not done with this. That's not boring. Just because brand names may end up making it in the playoff, or maybe they won't, but in this scenario, even if they end up making it in, it's not like they cakewalked their way in. It's not like they were given a free pass. They did not go to Six Flags. They did not buy the flash pass. They didn't skip the line. They're incurring the same risks as everyone else. None of them are immortal. Uh, several of them, most of them already have bumps and bruises and injuries. And, and I, you know what? Now that I think about it, I'd also say this. Let me reread this question out loud, even though this is not a radio show. So chances are, if you made it this far, you already heard me state the question. But this is an old radio habit. You kind of restate the premise. He said, what do you tell the casuals? What's the counter if they say the same boring teams are in the playoff? If it's Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma, I would say shame on the other teams. That's what I'd say. Has there ever been a more wide-open door? Like, if, if there's a double door, and it's wide open, and you still run into the wall, that's your fault. That's not Oklahoma's fault or Alabama's fault or a playoff committee's fault. Dude, this is wide open. If it does end up being those four teams that were listed in the question, uh, that's on you. That's a college football problem. That's a, a Michigan problem or a Michigan State problem or a Cincinnati problem or an Oregon problem. Like, this door's never been more wide open. So the college football has delivered for you this year, no matter what you want. And college football is also giving a golden opportunity for new fresh blood to get in the playoff. They've got to take it. You can't hand it to them. I mean, they've got to take it. Contrary to popular belief, by the way, those brand names take it every year. They don't get it handed to them. So that, in conclusion, Russ, is how I would deal with the casuals out there. You got to deal with the casuals with love, but you have to be firm. Sometimes you have to dish out tough love. Because most of the time, a casual is living on emotion. He's not or she's not living based on logic, in fact-based reasoning. For example, there are casuals out there who would argue that Cincinnati belongs in the top four right now because they're undefeated. And those same casuals would pick apart Oklahoma for almost losing to Kansas. Why is that? Well, it's not based on logic because logic would tell you, well, if your most important criteria, if your key data point is the number in the loss column, all that matters is Oklahoma won, right? Well, yeah, but man, they, they performed so poorly. They were such a big favorite. Doesn't matter. You just told me Cincinnati belongs in and they barely squeaked past Tulsa. What are we talking about here? We're talking about emotion. They want Cincinnati in. They don't want Oklahoma in. And that's their starting point. That's their preset. When I enter a college football season, I have no preset. You guys get mad at me because I barely even do preseason predictions. I, I take up until the last minute, and then I put out some little token thing that I normally don't even know I'm doing until that morning. I send it to our graphics department. They put it out. Like, I had Clemson winning the national championship this year. I gave that about 15 seconds of thought, and then I put it out there, and now it looks dumb. I don't care. I don't even get into the preseason prediction stuff. That's how blank my canvas is. 
And I want it to be that by design when I enter the season so I can let the actual games on the field formulate my opinion instead of a preview magazine. And the benefit of doing that that way is when you get into the season, all that shapes your opinion is what you see. It's not about what you predicted. It's not about what you want to see happen. It's just what am I seeing? If Cincinnati was the best team in the country to me, I'd have them at number one. More importantly, if I thought there were better teams out there than Alabama, I'd have them in there over Alabama right now. Alabama's very vulnerable, but you got to have two partners in that dance equation. You got to have a vulnerable Alabama, but then to knock them down out of the top three or four, you got to have three or four teams that are better. Golden opportunity is there. Bama's vulnerable. We don't have three or four teams that are better right now. We just don't. So that'd be my response. You don't like the outcomes. You don't like uh, maybe the same teams making it in. We'll do something about it. Have your other teams do something about it. CJ up next. Why do we let the college football playoff and ESPN get away with that will work itself out as an excuse for ranking some teams in inflated or deflated spots? The job isn't to play matchmaker or have matchups that will work themselves out yet it's a rationale for a solid five to seven teams per week. So this is a really good question. I don't know if you caught quite what he was saying. What CJ is saying is when you turn on that college football playoff ranking show tonight, for example, I think it's the later one. I'm not waiting to start the show, by the way. Sometimes I'll wait to start Late Kick Live until after they're done. I'm not waiting. They're doing that halftime at the basketball thing tonight? No. I got two dinners to get to, and so I'm not waiting for you guys. You can have your tip-off, halftime, whatever. We're just going to go ahead and do the show. Anyway, when that thing eventually happens tonight, they'll reveal the rankings in painstakingly slow fashion, and then they'll bring the committee chair on. I can't even remember who it is this year. And inevitably... When being pressed about the positioning of a team, that committee chair is going to say, and this is all going to work itself out in the end. What he's saying normally, and I've said this many times too, I'm going to give you my reason for saying it in a second, but when people say that on the committee, normally what they're saying is, here's where we have this team ranked right now, i.e. we have Michigan at number seven or number eight or wherever they are, but it'll work itself out. So if there's someone saying, hey, I think Michigan should be number four, and the committee's saying, nope, they're number eight, The committee says, but it'll work itself out because they still play Michigan State ranked ahead of them and they still play Ohio State ranked ahead of them. And if they win those games and they win the Big Ten, then they'll be in the top four anyway. So it doesn't matter where they are right now. Now, I've said that before, but I say that in a different context, which I'll explain in a second. CJ saying, if Michigan is the number seven team, just tell me why they're the number seven team. Don't tell me where they are now. But then when I push back, you have no better reason than Oh, it'll work itself out. No, if if they could be number four, then go ahead and put them up there. Why don't you have them up there? Well, the answer is obviously you don't think they're the number four team. So instead of telling me what they are capable of down the road, or if the public thinks a team is too high, but you have them up there, but then you say, hey, this is going to work itself out. They could lose games down the road. Don't tell me that. Tell me why you have them where they are right now. Because theoretically, the way a ranking system should work is it should be frozen that very weekend independent of future criteria. Those games haven't happened. Nothing that hasn't happened yet should be factored into any equation, right? So CJ's asking, why do I hear that over and over and over again? CJ, here's why I think you hear it from the committee. I think you hear it from the committee because after they get those rankings put together, they do look ahead and they do see that we're going to get pushback on this. So here's how I believe their process works. I don't believe in a lot of the conspiracy theories that a lot of other people do. I truly believe there's a pretty rigid process and a pretty defined set of data and criteria that they stick to, and then they formulate their rankings. But then what happens when they arrive at those rankings before they release them, 
is they look over them and they have PR or they have media specialists look over it and they brief the committee on what the public reaction is going to be. For instance, if they think the public's going to be upset that Oklahoma is number eight, then they say, well, committee, now this is behind closed doors. Committee member, why is Oklahoma number eight? Well, look at this data point, this data point, and this data point. This is what we factor most heavy. And look, this is where Oklahoma is. That's the reason. Then the PR specialist, I believe, says, okay, well, that's not going to work. That's boring. That will put people to sleep. We need a better explanation than that. It's like when I was younger, my mom, to get me to brush my teeth at night, convinced me that there were monsters that came around and they came after little kids who didn't brush their teeth. So my question should have been, well, mom, if the monsters can already get to me and they already know where I am, why does the cleanliness of my teeth really matter in the grand scheme of things? That's what I should have asked, but I was a child. I didn't know to ask that. I just brushed my teeth, and so I didn't get attacked by monsters. Well, we all know the real reason that I needed to brush my teeth was because if you don't, plaque builds up and you get gum disease and all kinds of things I wouldn't have understood at that point. And so really, even though that was the reason, I was given an alternate reason, knowing that the ends justify the means, and in that case, even a little white lie or two, I think that's the same thing that happens on the committee. They could sit there and pull up a computer monitor or take out a Sharpie and write on a grease board, here's the real reason, and put up all these equations and show you the different data points and how it works. That would not be good TV, nor would most people watching really understand it. So instead, they just arrive at the conclusion that let's just tell them it's going to work itself out. Let's just tell them, here's the ranking, blah, 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 blah. Okay, settle down though, but listen, would it ease your mind to let you know it's all going to work itself out? Yeah, okay, nod your head, everyone. Let's move on. That's what's really happening. They could give you perfectly good reasoning, perfectly good data-based reasoning, I believe, why they have Oklahoma at eight. Now, you could still agree or disagree with what they use, but I don't believe they just randomly throw Oklahoma at eight. They do have a good data-based reason why they're there. I just don't think they feel like explaining that on TV, nor do I think those committee members are equipped to. Remember, the committee members go by the process. They didn't invent the process. So really, you'd need someone with advanced mathematical skill to be able to explain that to you, and they're just not in the business of doing that. It's an entertainment product. It's not a data and science convention. And so instead, they just give these very surfacey reasons. Well, you know, they've, they've played really good football so far this year. Or, well, you know, we feel like they're a well-coached team. None of that really matters in that room. None of that's really being weighted. Now, when I say it, CJ, when I look at the rankings and I say, don't worry, it's going to work itself out, I'm not on the committee. When I say that, I'm explaining to you why I'm not up in arms about it because I don't control the rankings, so I don't have to justify them to you or anyone else. What I'm telling you is the reason I'm not going to get worked up about it is because it's going to work itself out. I see so many folks get worked up about it, and when I tell you it'll work itself out, that's translated to I'm not going to allow myself to be roped into this in early November. That's all that means when it comes out of my mouth. Good question there, though. That was pretty, that was pretty well thought out. I think it's something that we don't talk about a whole lot. We just hear it and let it pass on, but to dive into it a little bit, I think there is context. Uh, this past weekend, there was no explanation for a lot of what happened to me. It just happened. I just sat there as it happened to me. Well, it's so bad, I probably need to split it into two parts. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to do the going part right now. What happened on the way to Austin? I had to fly into Austin. And uh, then I'm going to tell you the second part a little bit later on. But this was a straight-up disaster. So give me your attention for a second. Let me walk you through this. Tell me at what point you would have gone insane. I get out of Nashville, no problem. I never have problems in Nashville. So we get out of here probably about 6 o'clock Friday evening. I'm going to get into Austin, direct flight, no big deal. Probably getting in there around 8.30. 
Uh, so I get into Austin, no problem, nice flight. Pretzels were a little stale for my taste, but otherwise it's okay. We get into Austin. The reason I fly into Austin instead of Dallas or Houston is number one, because Austin's a smaller town. Theoretically, that means traffic's better. Number two, it's a direct flight. Number three, the driving distance is not a big deal. And number four, and this is the veteran move, you gotta look at the rental car situation. Is the rental car company that you're gonna be using in the terminal or do you have to take the shuttle? Like people know if you fly into DFW in Dallas, the rental car shuttle takes you like 45 minutes to get to sometimes. And so you land and you taxi for 20 minutes because somehow that happens at DFW too. And you also drive for about 30 minutes minimum. You almost have an hour or over an hour go by from the time you land to the time you're in your car. So anyway, I wanted to avoid all that. So I flew into Austin. Austin has the rental car company right there in the terminal. So I walk over. I mean, this is going to be a breeze, right? I'm walking up to the rental car place and it's all in the same place as it usually is. And you can see, I mean, you could probably have seen it from space, but I can see it from a long way away. There is a massive line for one of these companies. At that point, you're just hoping it's not budget because I was with budget this week. Please don't be budget. Please don't be budget. And it's budget. But it's okay because I get closer and I get closer and I realize uh, it must just be one line for every rental car company. And then you just go to the counter as you get closer because there's no way that line is for one company. It was for one company. I get in there. It is a complete scene from a horror movie. The budget line, I kid you not, is at least 50, if not 75 people deep. It stretched the length of the building, and it's a big building. If you've ever been to Austin, think about that rental car building. That's a long building, and it was running the length of it. And I look, and I walk, and I walk, and I walk to get to the back of the line, and we ask, you know, everybody's asking at the back of the line because they just got there, what's going on? What's going on? Now, here's what I figure. I figure the same problem that I've read about and I've dealt with in Texas so far this year is happening again, which is they are out of rental cars. But that wasn't it. The lady working the counter, bless her heart, the MVP of the year, by the way, she's working the counter solo. She's passing out waters and she comes back there and I say, hey, what's happening? She says, well, don't worry. We have plenty of cars. We don't have staff to clean them. Yes, we had cars in the garage. My problem was people cleaning out cracker crumbs off the floor. That's what's keeping me from getting on the road. So I'm looking at this line and I'm thinking this is two hours minimum. Now, I want you to keep this in the back of your head. As this is happening, the Stanford game is kicking off. So Stanford is kicking off a college football game about the time I'm getting in the line. Hour goes by, no movement. Two hours goes by, no movement. The Stanford game is at halftime. I'm not even close to getting to the front of the counter. There's movement every now and then. Like she'd give out two or three cars back to back to back every now and then because that was the speed with which they were getting them washed and cleaned and they got to do the COVID stuff for it. And that's the speed with which they were bringing them new cars. And then also you find out Budget and Avis work together so they are having to split the amount of cars that are being brought to them. Uh, the third quarter of the Stanford game is closing. The fourth quarter begins. Line's moving a little bit, but I'm still a long way away. I finally get up to where they actually have the little ropes, you know, the place where the line's supposed to start. I finally get up to that point. The Stanford game is ending. An entire college football game has gone by. I'm standing in line. I finally, long after the Stanford game ends, it is one o'clock, a little bit after one o'clock in the morning, I finally get to within two or three people of the counter. And then you see what you don't want to see. You see the lady walk around from the counter and come out and put her hands over her mouth to make an announcement that cannot possibly be good. No one ever has you wait in line four hours only to make a good announcement. Here's the announcement. <clears throat> 
Uh, yeah, we only have 12-person vans left. 12-person vans, all we have left. Thank you. And that was how my week started. And so I get up to the front of the line. It's about four hours, 20 minutes to four and a half hours that I've stood in line. Only to be told, despite having a reservation that was made several days to over a week in advance, we don't have what you ordered. You can either take a van or you could walk to College Station. That'd be fun. Get your little cardio in. And so I have to take the same thing they transport prison inmates in. That kind of van. I put a picture of it up on Twitter. I ended up nicknaming her Bessie. And I took Bessie and we took ourselves over to the hotel. We got checked in about 1.45 or 2 o'clock. And I have to, at that point, decide... Am I going to drive back over at the crack of dawn to this airport to try and exchange this van for a car or alternate point of view? Am I going to take this van two hours to College Station and drive in gridlock game day traffic in a van? Well, friends, the second part of that story comes a little bit later. To be continued, it gets worse. Trust me, it gets much worse. We continue with the mailbag. Speaking of Stanford, Sean said, I got a question. Can you just talk about Stanford and David Shaw and what's happened there? Sean, I just think the game's passed them by a little bit. Not the game of football, but the way the game is working. I just think it passed them by in a sense that if you think about what gave Stanford and David Shaw an edge, and to be clear, they were massive overachievers. I mean, to be honest, they still are. It's just what Stanford was able to do for a little while was like in another galaxy relative to what they're supposed to be able to do. If you had any idea how hard it is to recruit at Stanford, it's, it's, they don't even play the same game. They're not even playing the same game as USC or Oregon. It's not even close. Like Stanford's the one that should be running their mouths like Washington was this past week about academic prowess. That's who should be talking like that, not Jimmy Lake in Washington. But what happened for a while is the Pac-12 was a run-around you league and David Shaw built Stanford off the heels of Jim Harbaugh, obviously. Those guys built Stanford to run through you. I mean, they had a, a model that, and a system, offensive system, that was very basic, but it was so beautiful in its simplicity in that everyone had to build defenses out there to try and stop the organs of the world. Well, the problem is when you've got undersized defensive linemen and undersized linebackers and you recruit 100 DBs per cycle because you have to run around and all of a sudden someone lines up and they got nine offensive linemen on the field and then you just got to full back in your face every play and all of a sudden they're bowling balling their way down the field, you can't really do much to stop it. And they just played low margin for error, low error period football and that's how they did it. Well, now everyone out there is smart to that. And everyone's been able to adjust their recruiting and personnel strategy for that. Teams like Oregon are doing something more similar to that. Not exactly that, but more similar to that now. And so Stanford lost the edge they once had. And it was not going to last forever. But Sean, I think that's the long and short of it. Cade is up next. He said, do you think Texas has a culture issue much like Florida? Yeah, I don't think Texas has a toughness about itself that it needs to sustain any kind of excellence in the Big 12 or in college football. Recruiting is always what everyone focuses on. But if you don't have four stars and five stars with a requisite toughness level, it doesn't really matter. That just means you're going to get embarrassed and then be called an underachiever because you're losing to teams that are, quote, less talented than you, unquote. I mean, Iowa State's a perfect example. Watch them play Texas. Who's the tougher team? Who's the more talented team? The answer to each question is different. So yeah, they've had a they have had a cultural issue at Texas for a while. It's toughness. That's as easy and as complex as it gets. It's easy to say. It's a lot more complex to try and instill a culture of toughness. It takes a while. That's why you're watching Sark right now, and he's dealing with all kind of what I think is ridiculous criticism. He hasn't had time to change a culture there. That takes a little while. Sometimes you got to wait for some guys to leave. 
and you got to get your guys in there and you got to make sure that you're building culture with the new layers that you add on. But you don't just get to overturn a program overnight, guys. So, yeah, the culture issue is the toughness issue. Next question is David. He said, can Alabama's defense become elite enough to bail out a poor offense and lead them to win a national championship? No. Now, credit their defense this last weekend. They won them the game. But no, Alabama's defense does not have the top end potential to win them a national championship. Offense is going to have to do it. And I'm very, very curious this week, just as I kind of was last week and I didn't see it, I'm curious this week what Alabama does against New Mexico State, not the outcome of the game, obviously, but this is the last tune-up they will have. After this, to give you an idea of what Bama's schedule is, they got Arkansas at home, which is not a game they can mess around with. They go to Auburn for the Iron Bowl, certainly not a game they can mess around with. They could lose either one of them, to be honest with you, with the way they're playing right now. And then if they win both of those, then they are assured a trip to Atlanta for the SEC championship game. Here's what I'm watching right now. I'm watching their offensive line be very poor, especially having to move pieces around on the right side. Center, as a result, this week was very, very poor. And they've got to get Dalcourt back. I mean, that's their best shot, obviously, to have their starting center. But that's not what I'm watching. What I'm looking at is I cannot believe that they brought in the freshman receiving class they have with Christian Leary and Ja'Cory Brooks and Ajay Hall, JoJo Earl, and none of those guys have made a huge impact. I cannot believe that. This is a program, whether it be Calvin Ridley or Amari Cooper, in recent history, Nick Saban, when he's recruited those game changers at receiver, he's gotten them on the field. And so I'm wondering what the deal is, because out of four of them, I mean, JoJo Earl has seen a little bit of playing time, but by and large, it's been non-existence. From that entire class, I do not believe they busted on that class, is what I'm telling you. So I don't also believe that every single one of them must be so mentally inferior that they can't grasp the system and can't get on the field. And I don't think they're all troublemakers or anything like that. I just think they've done a poor job of getting those guys ready to play. It is on the player at the end of the day. I get that. Like, there's got to be an assumed responsibility. But that's why I'm saying four. One of them could be like that. One of them could just be a washout, you know, character concerns, but not all four of them. There's just no way you're selling me on that. So the reason I said that is because I wonder if they don't watch that film and say, we've got to have more difference makers on the field. Slade Bolden, God bless him, is not a difference maker. Uh, John Mechie is at his best when he has those kind of complimentary pieces around him. They've got Jamison Williams there, who was the transfer from Ohio State. They'd have more losses than they do right now if he was not on that team. They've got to have more speed and more versatility at wide receiver. It stands to reason you should be that way. When you lose Jalen Waddell and Jerry Judy and Ruggs and Devontae Smith over a two-year period, it should be that way. Obviously, I think Jaleel Billingsley has been a big disappointment for them at tight end. He should have been a much bigger integral part of this offense this year. And it just sounds like he hasn't fulfilled his end of the bargain and hasn't been able to make them trust him in big moments. Uh, he's had some drops. He's had some miscues in big moments. And so I think the only answer to what you're asking here, David, of what needs to go to another level in order for them to win a title, I think the receiver position has to have more dependability and more pieces. They have to have more players. That is the biggest hinge point. Because once you can do that, then all of a sudden – you can't key in on one guy and you loosen up a defense and you make them think a little bit more. You've also got the versatility of having to worry about the quarterback run because unlike in Columbus, Ohio, in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, the quarterback is willing to run and get some tough yards. So no, I don't think it's the defense that'll bail them out. And having said that, I think now is as good a time as any to let you know I am ready to announce my Heisman endorsement this year. I've watched long enough. I've observed. I've studied long enough. 
And I've come to the conclusion that I am endorsing Will Anderson for Heisman this year. I am endorsing a defensive player. Will Anderson is a machine. I think Will Anderson for Alabama is the best player in college football right now. He is single-handedly impacting games unlike any other single college football player out there is to me right now. If you have not watched him, please take some time to watch him. And if you haven't looked at his numbers, please take some time to do that. He's putting up some numbers even at the University of Alabama defensively that are generational, that are true standout. He's a true sophomore, so they got one more year of him there. But Will Anderson is my Heisman endorsement this year. And from this point forward, just as I did with Devontae Smith last year, I will fight for Will Anderson as if he were my own child. And that's just the way it's going to be. And that's a big announcement, obviously. It's a big endorsement on the show. So let's take a couple of seconds. Let's regroup. And then we'll wrap up with a couple more questions and the exciting slash horrific conclusion to this week's travel debacle. Stay with me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, Keenan had a question that a lot of you were wondering about. Thoughts on Jimmy Lake hitting one of his players in the face mask? Keenan is talking, obviously, about the Washington head coach, Jimmy Lake. Uh, they had a confrontation on the field slash on the sideline between players this past week in the Oregon game. And then one of them was about to get a flag, or maybe he got flagged, and Jimmy Lake was irate because the guy lost his composure. And so as the player is being pushed back towards the sideline, Jimmy Lake slaps him in the helmet and pushes him. And the reason I haven't really touched on this is because my opinion is a big minority opinion. I have a strong opinion on this, but most of you will not agree with it. I had zero problem with it. Zero problem whatsoever. I looked at this, and I've always looked at this the same way. I think to myself, if that player were to have picked a ball off or that player were to have thrown a touchdown pass and it was dramatic and it was in the fourth quarter and he came over to the sideline, what would happen? Jimmy Lake and or several other coaches and players would slap him on the helmet harder than Jimmy Lake did the other night and they would do it in a celebratory mood and no one would think anything of it. The reason I say that is obviously we're not punishing Jimmy Lake for the actual pain or injury he inflicted on the player. We're punishing him for the optics of it. You can't hit a player. You can't hit a player. Well, no, you can't strike a player with a closed fist when his helmet's off and bloody his nose. No, you can't do what Woody Hayes did and throw a forearm shiver to an opposing player. No, you clearly can't do that. What Jimmy Lake did, though, was slap a player in the back of the helmet. Let me stress the word helmet. Helmet. You think Jimmy Lake knew his helmet was on when he slapped him? And that was probably one of the reasons he felt okay to slap him in the back of the head? I think so. And he, he shoved him a little bit too. And look, I know a lot of you have a problem with this. I think a majority of you think it was wrong and think he should be punished. I don't. 
It's the way that I prefer to be coached. It's the way that I was coached. I had a coach kick me one time. Never told you guys this. I had a coach kick me one time. He ended up being one of my favorite coaches ever. Now, I am not advocating for the kicking of players. I'm just explaining to you, that's the way that a lot of us got coached. And you know, here's the thing about it. You know a coach is doing it out of love. When you know the coach is doing it, and he also has your best intention and the team's best intentions in mind, you don't take it the same way that a viewer at home takes it. Which is why, and I have no knowledge of what happened afterwards. Grant me that. I have no knowledge. If I were that player and Jimmy Lake was my coach, I would make it a point, since I knew I was in the wrong, I would make it a point to find the nearest microphone or to go to my social accounts, and I would say, uh, don't do anything to him. I'm the one who screwed up. I have no problem with what he did to me. That's what I would do. That's me. That's on me. I don't know what this player did, whether he did that or not. But no, I don't have any problem with what Jimmy Lake did. I would not have suspended him. I don't like that he got suspended. If Washington were undefeated and in the throes of a Pac-12 title race, I don't think he would have been suspended. So let's also not be ignorant to the fact that, yes, there are more factors in play here than just whether Jimmy Lake did something he wasn't supposed to do. No, that's not the case. So I don't have a problem with it. I know most of you did, and it's a principal issue. Some of you think that with no exceptions, a coach should never put his hands on players. I don't feel that way. I feel like when it's egregious, you'll know it when you see it, and I don't think this was egregious. Uh, Here's a really, really good two-parter. Matt said, favorite railroad to ride, most underrated storm you ever chased. Well, I'll knock these both out really quick, Matt. Favorite railroad to ride, that would be the CSX Lineville subdivision. That would be between Birmingham and Manchester, Georgia. And that's about as specific as I can get there for obvious reasons. Second thing he asked was the most underrated storm I ever chased. Here's a sad, sad story for you. So a few years ago, me and the storm chasing team, we got an active day in the state of Alabama. And so we gird up our loins and we load up the car and we head up to just north of LaGrange, Georgia. That's where we think that kind of the battle zone is going to be that day. It should be noted our meeting point that day was Opelika, Alabama. Keep Opelika in mind. It's about to be very important. So we drive all the way up to north of LaGrange and, you know, it's back roads up there once you get up north of LaGrange because we're not on the interstate. And so the storms start popping. Here's the problem. The ones that are popping near us, they just don't have the critical dynamics in place. We do not have the rotation. We don't have anything that we're looking for. But boy, the ones to the south do. And there it goes. Tornado Warren storm. In what county, Alabama? Lee County, Alabama. Guess what's in Lee County? Opelika. Guess what happened in Opelika? Touchdown. I believe it was an EF1 touchdown. And we're watching it. The webcams were live. The news tower cameras caught it. And we're watching it. So here's, here's the real fun part of that. We were working in local news. I was with one of our meteorologists. I'm working in local news too. And sometimes I had to come in because I was a news anchor at that time. And I had to do the breaking stuff too. It was a Saturday. So we technically weren't going to be on air, but we had to be on call. So we're out in the field that day chasing. Well, we're on the wrong storm. The storm that's probably like two miles away from where we parked our cars produces a tornado. Well, then we have to kick into emergency coverage duty. So I kid you not, here's the scene. It is pouring down rain. We are stopped by a train in LaGrange. One of the one of the most magical moments of my life. We are in the middle of tornado coverage as a freight train stops us, which kind of blends this question together, by the way. And so it is pouring down rain. We're stopped by a train. We're trying to get down to Opelika. Meanwhile, the meteorologist is on air doing live coverage, but we can't get on air yet because there's a brand new master control operator running the station because it's a Saturday. We'll call him Bradley. 
because that's his name. So Bradley is having to be walked through step by step how to get a breaking weather alert graphic on air, how to get the lower third crawl on air, you know, that red tornado warning crawl, and also how to actually put the weather map on air so that our meteorologists can talk over it via phone as it's pouring down rain. So all this is happening as we go down 85, trying to get back to Opelika, hoping that this tornado is still on the ground when we get there. That was probably one of the most crushing failures of our storm chasing career, because when we get back down there, we have to go through tornado damage to get to our car. That is insult to injury. To know that you drove like 300 miles round trip all through backwoods in Georgia and you could have just sat in the parking lot that you met up in and had a great view, that was a little bit too much to stomach that day. And since I'm already in a bad mood from that answer, let me just go ahead and wrap it up with this. Uh, part two, the exciting conclusion to this week's nightmare travel scenario. So once I get to the hotel, after we've gotten out of the Austin airport, longest year of my life, we head up to College Station the next morning, and I did decide to keep the van. So here we go. We are driving at all of about 65 or 66 miles an hour. That's as fast as that van will go. It doesn't matter. I didn't have a tailwind, which was all that could have helped me at that point. So I finally get to College Station. Shockingly easy to get in there. Had to run one red light uh, because it was not working. But other than that, for a stadium that seats about 110,000 people, traffic has really never been totally horrific when I've gone to Texas A&M games. Maybe it's because I get there earlier, but it's never been terrible. So I get there, I get in, I meet up with our academy representatives, I do our pregame stuff, like everything's good. The experience was great, man. I posted a whole lot of video on Twitter, posted a whole lot more on Instagram, at LateKickJosh. You got to check that Instagram story. It's also on the Instagram page right now as a highlight reel, so you can go back and watch it if you missed it, because that's only up for 24 hours. And I had a blast, man. I met so many people. I just wish that you guys could be on the field in some of these venues. It's amazing. Oh, it's so amazing. And it was great weather, too. And the thing about it is if you go over to the shady side of the field at some stadiums and you look at how hard the colors pop in late fall sunshine, it really plays a trick on your eyes because it looks like a painting. But it's not a painting. It's real life. That's really what that place looks like. You cannot see it because it doesn't come through on TV. And even with the best camera technology, I don't really think photos do it justice either. But if you could stand there and look at it, boy, it's amazing. I find myself, as I told you the other day, I tweeted it out, actually. I said, this is a job. I took a picture of my vantage point. Hey, this is a job. Basically, LOL. Okay, so the game's great. Game was phenomenal. I met a lot of you on the field, met a lot more of you kind of walking around there. Uh, talked to some Texas A&M staffers after the game. Every time we go to a game. There are people and staffers and players, in a lot of cases, from both teams that let us know, hey, I know I can't comment publicly, but I love the show. So that always happens. And so I know you guys are out there. Thank you for that. I will meet some of you in the future I haven't met yet. Thank you in advance. Anyway, I'm in no hurry to leave. Normally what I'll do is, as I did this time, I go to Jimbo's press conference, and then I take my laptop, I go sit out in an empty stadium, and I watch about a half of the next round of games. I'm letting traffic die down. So I leave about eh, probably an hour and a half, two hours after the game's over. Get on the road, no problem, traffic is fine. I'm listening to Kentucky, Tennessee and LSU, Alabama on the radio on the way back. So that was a very, very white knuckle trip for reasons that didn't relate to the van. The van performed admirably. Bessie was a huge hit in College Station. Everyone loved her. Several of you asked about her. So she was great. Bessie, as it turned out, was the least of my concerns. Get back to the hotel, we're good. I got a 7 a.m. flight out of Austin in the morning. You think, oh, morning trip? Get in the airport, no problem. Get the rental car checked back in. Breeze through security. 
<clears throat> get on our flight, probably end up getting a couple of hours nap before I have to go back to work in Nashville. Yeah, well, I did get to the airport early, and I did get the rental car checked in. When I walk into Austin Airport, there it is again, just as sure as it was there during my budget car rental crisis when I got there, the line, the line. But this time it's for TSA security. And so I get in, but you're thinking to yourself, I'm here an hour and a half early. There's, yeah, this is going to suck, but I mean, I'll get to the terminal, no problem. When I tell you there was one security gate operational for that entire airport, I'm telling you there was one security gate operational for that entire airport. This is why competition is beautiful, guys. This is why competition in the market is a great thing, because the inferior products and the inferior people get weeded out. That's the way it's supposed to work. Like Ron Swanson said on Parks and Rec, the free market is beautiful. It's a jungle. And when something is weak, it dies and something else takes its place. But that's not how the government works. TSA has no competition. So it doesn't matter how slow they move. It doesn't matter how late they show up for work or how ineffective they are. They're always going to be the only game in town. And that's exactly how they carried themselves at Austin Bergstrom International Airport the other day. It took an hour, 15 minutes at about 6 to 6.30 in the morning to get through security. Here's the next thing you need to know. Despite the fact that it's one government agency, airport to airport, they have wildly different policies. Some places have you put a laptop and cell phone in a bin. Others say, oh, you can keep it in the book bag. I have a camera with me. Some of them say, you don't have to put the camera out anymore. I had a TSA agent specifically tell me that two weeks ago. Hey, our new policy is you don't have to have the camera out anymore. You can just leave it in your suitcase. Well, guess what? I listened, stupidly, I listened to the government official and I left my camera in the suitcase. It's worked fine until this go around. And so I finally get up to security, finally get through, finally go through the screening process. I have got five minutes until they close the gate. And so guess what happens? My bag gets pulled. And guess why it got pulled? Because sir, do you have a camera in here? Well, you gotta take that camera out. You gotta have that camera separate. And so I could either fight with the guy and that would have been round two of me versus TSA in as many weeks. I won last week. I didn't want to take my chances. So I said, do whatever you have to do. You know, I'm trying to use my hand to motion that I'm in a hurry. But this guy works for TSA. They don't even know what the word hurry means. So in a very sloth-like manner, he pulls out the camera. He looks at it. Okay, I can confirm this is a camera. And he runs it back through the conveyor belt. Shockingly, it is just a camera. And so he moseys his way back over, nonchalantly puts it back in my bag. Here you go. I am at the last gate in the terminal. So for the first time in my life, I had to run through the airport. I have a seven o'clock flight. I get to the gate at 6.58. Doors are already closed. Seals are already locked. I can't get on the flight. Doesn't matter. Can't get on the flight. I am irate for about three minutes. And then I realize, wait, when I was booking here, there were a couple other American flights out of here in the morning and there were a couple of Southwest flights. So I immediately start pulling them up and looking. All sold out. Can't get on any of them. I asked the lady to rebook me. She said, I can get you out of here at four o'clock in the afternoon. No bueno, lady. Haven't you ever heard of Late Kick Live? It comes on at seven tonight. I got to get out of here. Can you just give me a voucher? Well, no, sir. I can't refund it because you missed your flight. And I look at her the same way Ben Stiller looked at that lady and meet the parents. And basically my eyes said, I have no time right now, but you got yours coming one day. I will deal with you later. So I had to rebook. I got on Southwest out of Austin at noon with a connection in New Orleans and I got in finally about an hour or so before the show was going to go on the air. I drive straight from the airport to the studio. I've got airplane all over me. I've got no preparation. 
and I didn't want to tell anyone about it ahead of time because I wanted to just see. I wanted to challenge myself. How good a show can we do? Well, I grade the shows after I do them. Uh, Sunday night was about a C-plus effort. But when you grade it on the no preparation, been in the air all day curve, it was a solid B-plus effort. And that's what happened. It ended up that even though I got stuck in a prison van to drive across Texas after a four-plus hour wait in line, you shouldn't complain because the trip back was even worse. So I learned my lesson. But here's what else I learned. And this is where you guys come through. We have a really big national audience now. So when I complain about things, whereas it used to just be an echo chamber and no one hears me, I complained about this, not really on a broad scale. I just kind of referenced it once or twice over the course of the weekend. Well, it turns out that we have people in the airline industry that listen to the show. We have people in the car rental industry that listen to the show. So I'm headed to Waco this weekend. We're going to Oklahoma Baylor. I've already been hooked up. One of you guys in Dallas hooked me up. I'm flying into Dallas and going to fly out of Dallas. But man, it pays to have an audience like we have with Late Kick. Because as soon as there's an issue that one of you can address you jump into action. And one of you jumped into action. And so thank you for that. There will eventually come a time because every one of you has a different set of skills and talents. All I do is sit here and talk. You guys are out in the real world doing real things. There will come a day where there's a need for the collective to use your services. So just be on guard. Just be on guard. That's how our community has to work. And of course, there's always a free Academy gift card in the offing if you are able to do that or if you just bump into me on the street somewhere and I happen to have them on me. So thank you for, man, making the podcast a huge success. I'm looking at the charts now. I don't want to brag, but if I did want to brag, I'd tell you we're in the top 50 for all of sports and in the top 10 for all of football. That's what I'd tell you if I wanted to brag on us, but we don't brag around here. We just keep our nose down, keep our eyes on the process, and that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. Do me one favor. Be sure you're giving us the five-star reviews and be sure you're sharing it. Just screenshot it if you're listening to it. But when you do it, tag me. Tag me on Twitter. Tag me on Instagram. That is our marketing department. As I've told you many times, you run promotion. You run marketing. We're not spending a dime on it. We're not, I'm not even trying. I'm not even asking management for an advertising budget. I don't think we need it. We got here just us. So let's continue to do it just us, shall we? Thank you for helping out there. Thank you so much for all that you do. Let me get this to Producer Jordan. Until tonight, Late Kick Live, 8 Eastern, 7 Central on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Have a great rest of your day, and God bless. Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Ha! Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!